In my experience, sermons are often very one-sided. Someone like me will stand in a place like this, wearing an outfit like this, and share with you what I think God is saying to us today. Sermons often feel like somebody has studied and mined this thing called the Bible and found that one jewel that none of you could find on your own. That's why you pay me. <laughs> to go looking for the jewel in Scripture and then to come back and share it with you. But that feels so one-sided. It feels like all of a sudden I have some hocus-pocus special powers and you lay people got it. But sermons are supposed to be far more than a monologue or a soliloquy. It's supposed to be a conversation. It's supposed to be a dialogue. It's something that's supposed to go both ways. So I have a question, and this is not meant to be rhetorical. What do you think heaven looks like? Wonderful. Wonderful. Good. Yes. Stress-free. Stress-free. Man, I can't wait for that. All right. <laughs> a fluffy cloud. A fluffy cloud. Yeah. Pretty good. Other, other images? Beautiful garden. Beautiful garden. I like that. Peaceful. Peaceful? Paved with gold. Streets paved with gold. Any other things that we think of? What, when, you, when you think of heaven, what do you hear? In your mind, what do you hear when you imagine heaven? Singing, music, laughter. There's a great theologian named Carl Barth who said that the closest we can ever get to hearing the voice of God is hearing a child laugh. Other things you think of when you think of heaven? Love and peace. Love and peace. Yes, no. <laughs> oh, well, when I think of the streets of gold, I just love fall, that mm -hmm. time of year. What about all the gold? Gold leaves. Gold leaves. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's got a, if that's so beautiful and we can see it, I cannot imagine what that is going to be like that we can't see. Yeah. That's pretty good. Like a perfect autumn day, but even better. There are all sorts of images that the world has told us about heaven. And there was a man, a man who lived a very good and a very devout life. And toward the end of his days, God spoke to him. And he said, you've done such a good job, I'm going to grant you something I've never let anyone else ever do. Before you die, I want you to pack a briefcase. And whatever you put in that briefcase, it will be with you in heaven. You get to carry with you something from earth to keep with you forever and ever. So think very, very hard about what you want to keep forever. And the man did for weeks and months. He thought, what in the world should I bring to heaven with me? And eventually he came up with the perfect thing. And the day came that he died, and he found himself standing before St. Peter in the pearly gates. St. Peter called his name from the book of life, and the man stepped forward, and Peter said, oh, it's you! We've been waiting for you! God told us that he gave you a new deal. That you got to bring to heaven whatever you wanted. And i got to be honest. We've all been taking bets. Of the one person that gets to bring one thing to heaven, what could it be? So before I let you in, do you mind, do you mind showing me? i just got to know what it is you brought to heaven. So the man very proudly turned his briefcase around, and he opened it up, and inside were six gold bars. And Peter looked at it. He looked over his shoulder and he yelled at the angels. He said, hey, everybody, come over here. Get a of this. God told this guy he could bring whatever he wants to heaven, and he brought asphalt. 
Because in the kingdom of God, the streets are paved in gold. Or like a fall day. You've heard that before, I'm sure, that in heaven the streets are paved with gold. Or maybe when you think of heaven, you picture it in your mind, it's like a cloud or a garden. You see fat little babies with wings flying around. (laughs) Or maybe when you think of heaven, it seems a lot more like the golden corral, where the buffet never ends and the waistline always stays the same. (laughs) I get asked a lot of questions as a pastor. People are forever coming to my office, even when they don't know who I am, and they ask things like, Taylor, how am I supposed to pray? They'll ask, Taylor, where is God in the midst of all the struggles I have in my life right now? They'll ask, should I tell my husband what I did? Or should I tell my wife what I did? But the question I am asked the most by far is, what's heaven going to be like? Today, when most of us think about heaven, our images and our minds are far more likely or connected with Hallmark than they are with Scripture. Our hopes and our dreams about our heavenly reward often reflects what movies and books tell us about heaven than what the Bible tells us about heaven. And I wonder if the crowds that day were disappointed in Jesus when he started telling them about the kingdom of heaven. Because his parables, this long list of comparisons, they contain nothing about pearly gates, nothing about endless buffets, and there's nothing about even reuniting with lost relatives. The stories that Jesus tells us, they're down to earth, literally. Upstairs, our kids are learning about how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a mustard seed. Because the verse before this, Jesus says those words, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed because people disregard it, they toss it away, but when it takes root, it grows greater than any plant in the world. At other times, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like yeast mixed in with three measures of flour, which would be enough to feed hundreds of people fresh bread. At other times, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven as a never-ending worship service which to some people sounds less like heaven and a lot more like hell. (laughs) And more often than not, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, do you know what he compares it to? A wedding feast. And I love that. I I love the wedding feast connection because weddings, at their best, are fun. They're full of life and of energy and of celebration. And perhaps most importantly, at weddings, there are always a few people that you never would have invited. But at God's wedding, in heaven, the invitation is far greater than our own. And in today's passage, what Bob read for us this morning, Jesus tells the crowd that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. More than a year ago, I was down in Roanoke for annual conference. Annual conference is this weekend, one weekend a year, where all of the Methodist pastors and the lay leaders from the state get together for prayer, for worship, church business. We discuss the future. And we, I went down last year a little bit early so I could have breakfast with some of my friends. There were six of us sitting there at the breakfast table at this diner, and three of us were about to be ordained in full connection. This is a little boring, so I apologize. But being ordained in full connection means you get to wear something like this when you leave church. 
means that you've served a church for at least three years. You haven't messed up too much. You're approved by this body called the Board of Ordained Ministry. You have to write all these papers. You have to have a psychological evaluation. It's all kinds of stuff. And when you finally finish everything, you get to kneel before the bishop. And the bishop prays over you. And when you stand up, they place a stole over your shoulders. And for the rest of your life, you are a servant of God's church. And so he's there a year ago getting ready to be ordained in full connection. And for as excited as we were, for as much hope and anticipation that we had, there was also a dark cloud over our breakfast. Because I think it should come as no surprise to all of us here that the church has seen better days. Gone are the days when we could just assume that people would walk in on Sunday morning because we had open doors. Gone are the days when young families flock to church so they can learn more about their community. Gone are the days when the church is respected and talked about in a greater culture. No, today, we can have all the open doors we want, but unless someone's invited, they're never going to come. Today, young families have far more important things to do on a Sunday morning, like take their kid to soccer game. Today, the church isn't respected by the greater world. No, it's mocked by the greater world. All I ever hear about outside these walls about the church has to do with our church's language about homosexuality. Never about any of the good we've done. Never about the fruitfulness we've borne in the world. No, the church is in a different place. And so we were sitting there at breakfast, about to be ordained to get on this ship that looks like it doesn't have any sails. A ship that might be taking on water. A ship without a runner. And I love the church, so I was equal parts excited and nervous at the same time about what I was about to do for the rest of my life and what the church looks like. And we were sitting there at breakfast, and my friend Morgan was not really talking. I could tell that he was stewing about these things in his mind, and out of nowhere he said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus' parables especially the one about the pearl of great price. He said, you know, you know the parable. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl, and when he finds it, he sells everything so that he can have it. And then Morgan looked at us each in the eye, and he said, and I wonder, I wonder if we feel like a merchant anymore. I wonder if we're willing to give everything we have to throw ourselves completely in to this thing called the kingdom. Or at the very least, I wonder if any of us have found a pearl in the church. Today, the church feels afraid. So few are willing to take any risks and do something new. We hold up all these frightening statistics like the one I shared with you my first Sunday. That the average person in a Methodist church invites one person to church every 33 years. And instead of talking about our fruit, instead of talking about the good that we've done, we're stuck in the past worrying about what we can fix to be better. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't get people to live transformed lives by scaring the hell out of them. Jesus transforms people here and now by showing them how close heaven is at hand. And my friend Morgan, his question has haunted me for more than a year. 
With all of this negativity and fear and frustration, Morgan turned it all upside down. Where is the pearl? Where is the thing we are willing to throw our lives into to keep? What would I give up everything to possess in God's kingdom? Elijah is about 15 months old, and when he was born, I took four weeks off from the church. I'm grateful that United Methodist Church lets pastors take up to four to eight weeks for maternity or paternity leave. And so I left the church for a month so I could be home with Lindsay as we figured out how in the world to adjust having a little human being in the house with us. But after four weeks, I had to go back to church. I had to get back up in the pulpit. And on the first Sunday, it just so happened that it was a communion Sunday. And I can't tell you a thing about that service. I was so exhausted. I don't know if I've ever been more tired in my life. I think I actually fell asleep when the choir was singing one of their hymns. <laughs> so we got later in the service, and I stood at the altar, and I prayed over the bread and the cup, and I invited God's people to come forward to receive communion. And Lindsay came forward with Elijah, and without having talked about it ahead of time, I took the tiniest little piece of bread that I could fit in my fingers, and I just ever so slightly dipped it in the cup, I put it in his mouth. The next week on Wednesday night, I was leading youth group. I did it every Wednesday night. The first thing we did every Wednesday night was communion, and Elijah was with me. And so as I was tearing off these big pieces of bread for all my 16 and 17 and 18 year olds, I took off a teeny tiny one. I dipped it in the cup, and I gave it to Elijah. For 15 months of his life, he has known no reality outside the walls of the church. He has had communion every single time it has been offered. His life is, in a sense, completely connected with the life of the church. His life moves according to the liturgical calendar and not the calendar of the world. The words that he has learned have more to do with church than with the world. If you were here my first Sunday when we did the offering, he put his hands up like this. And when it was time to say amen, he said it like six times. We're working on it. <laughs> but I think about my son I think about that tiny little piece of bread That first Sunday when he was in church I think about how every time we've had communion He's come forward And I think about how his life His life is a product Of what the church has done for him That when he grows up His community will look like this And not like what the rest of the world looks like I think about that. I think about what he has experienced. I think about the bread and the cup of communion that is offered to us without cost. And you know what? I think I would give up everything to keep that. On Thursday, I came over here early after working on a sermon at a coffee shop. And I pulled into our parking lot, and there were tons of people here. Thursday, we had our food distribution ministry uh, we pair up with a couple other churches, and this truck comes in and offloads all this food, and people were lining up right here out in these windows in the grass. I mean, truly lining up out of the parking lot to get free food. And because I'm still so new, I walked out there, and I, I tried to help. I moved some of the food around, set up tables and tents, and introduced myself. I climbed up on the roof of the church. I took a couple pictures. Don't tell the rest of the trustees. And... <laughs> I walked down, I came down the ladder, and I walked out there, and I just started milling about. There was one woman in particular who just kept staring at me the whole time. And everywhere I walked, her eye was on me. 
And so eventually I walked over and I introduced myself. And before I really even had a chance to say who I was, she grabbed me by the shirt. And she pulled me close and she said, thank you. This saved my life. When I think about this parking lot filled with people who have no hope in the world, when I think about her salvation coming here through a gift of food, when I think about our willingness to give of ourselves to bless other people, you know what? I think I would give everything I own to keep that. Tomorrow morning, we're going to open up our church to a bunch of kids for vacation Bible school. I'm going to dress up like Batman. I'm going to make a fool of myself teaching these kids stories about the Bible. They're going to learn about David. They're going to learn about what it means to be a hero. They're going to learn about Jesus and the Beatitudes. And some of those kids, they're going to have a good time. They're going to come from nice families. Some of the kids are going to come from pretty bad families. Some of the kids are going to come with full bellies from a nice breakfast. Some of them, the food we give them will be the first meal they've had that day. When I think about a church that is willing to open its doors to have volunteers that will give up their time to be here, to feed them, to love them, to nurture them, to share with them the story. I think about what those kids will experience, how they will leave this place transformed, that they will be unlike who they were when they arrived. And you know what? I know I would give everything I have if I could keep that. And all three of those, from my son in worship to the woman in our parking lot to the children who will be here in church for vacation Bible school, all of them will be transformed without cost. They will come and experience the love and the grace and the mercy of God for free. In the parable, the man sells everything he has for that pearl. That pearl of God's kingdom of heaven is so important to him. Not only does he give his money, he gives away his livelihood just to hold on to that little slice of heaven on earth. And more important than the money he pays for the pearl, more important than almost anything in the story, is the fact that he trusts that God's kingdom is more important than any earthly thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is not just something waiting for us in the by and the by. It is something right here and now that you and I can experience every single day. Because the kingdom is not something we do. The kingdom is what God is doing. And we receive it like a gift. Like a gift of bread in a cup. Like a gift of free food in our parking lot. Like a gift of vacation Bible school for kids from our community. There is no amount of money on this earth that can buy one's way into heaven. It cannot be earned or purchased or acquired. You can't even trade for it. Heaven is something that is offered freely to us. This story is a testament not about how much it costs to get into heaven, but how we respond to the gift of heaven. It is everything we have. To be joined up into this kingdom of heaven on earth, the kingdom that is both here and not yet, means throwing our whole selves in. It means committing everything we've got. 
There is nothing you or I can do to buy it. As the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. But the parable, it begs us to ask ourselves the same question that Morgan asked me more than a year ago. Do we feel like the merchant? Are we willing to risk it all, to throw ourselves completely in? Or at the very least, have we found a pearl of the kingdom of heaven on earth? I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.